0: Welcome back to the podcast, Unbinding the Bible. This is episode 37, The Servant Creates Servants. And in this episode, I'd like to begin in the book of Acts and look at how closely connected Jesus is with his followers. And we're going to start by looking at the Apostle Paul and some of the things that happened to him and then some of the stunning statements that are made about him particularly as it relates to the same kinds of statements that were made and are being made about the servant of the lord from the book of isaiah and then in the second part of the podcast we'll look specifically of what that means for the church as a whole what that means for those who are in christ what that means for followers of jesus and how the new testament uses the very same language it already used to talk about jesus to describe who the followers of Jesus are to become and ultimately what they are to do while on the earth. And so I think that this episode is going to be immensely encouraging for you. It may be surprising in some ways, things that you've not thought of before, but I think it's absolutely central to grasp these concepts in order to know who we are as Christians. So let's jump right into it. To begin this week's episode, I would really like to jump ahead into Acts chapter 9, when the first time it is that Paul, or as he's formerly known as Saul, is really introduced to us. And to give just a little bit of the context for this and why I've decided to bring this to the forefront, it's a very significant conversation that happens here between Saul and Jesus, and it sheds a tremendous amount of light on the very things that I want to talk about In this episode. But when the Holy Spirit came, as Jesus promised he would, on the day of Pentecost to empower with power, to empower his disciples to be his witnesses in the world, um, all hell broke loose, quite literally. Um, The disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit and began proclaiming powerfully the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. And hundreds and thousands of people came to faith in Jesus Christ and you would think that the book of Acts when you're reading it it is just like a highlight reel um, covering about 25 to 30 years of time but reads like a very very fast paced moving story of just all of the tremendous things that are happening in and through the disciples in the church. Well when you come to chapter 7 you have many of the Jews who get incredibly upset at the kinds of things that are being said and they give an accusation to about a man named Stephen that he's speaking ill about their temple and about their law to which Stephen responds he's doing nothing of the sort but is given the opportunity to present why he is looking at Jesus as superior to both the law and the temple not in exchange of them but in the proper fulfillment of these things and the Jews want nothing of it And so they actually pick up stones, and they stone Stephen to death, who, interestingly enough, speaks out while he is being stoned, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Mirroring very, very similarly the words that Jesus spoke on the cross when he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And then Stephen breathed his last and died as well. And the book of Acts, in chapter 8, verse 1, which happens immediately after this, it says, And Saul approved of his execution. And this is our first introduction to this man named Saul. Believing himself to be honoring God, Saul was a Pharisee. He was a very religious, very devout, very passionate, very zealous man. And what he thought was going to come of the Messiah, which is what most of the Jews thought, He thought the Messiah was going to be a conquering ruler, a conquering king, and here these people, these Christians, these followers of the way, as Acts describes it, are going around telling that this man, this peasant man who was murdered by Rome, is in fact the Messiah, and Paul, Saul, I'm sorry, thought that it was ridiculous, and so he takes part In the persecution. And from this moment when Stephen is killed, there's a massive scattering of the people, and Saul is right at the front of the line saying, God will not be dishonored by this garbage. God will not be dethroned by the way you are speaking of his supposed Messiah and claiming that this Jesus guy is that Messiah. And so he begins leading a persecution against Christians. Stephen is the first, but he is more or less the the front runner, um, many, many more will follow. And Paul, at, we're, Saul, we're told, joyfully puts them in prison because he's standing there and watching as Stephen is put to death for faithfully witnessing to Jesus. And so then Saul, um, in, in chapter nine of the book of Acts, it says, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And then Acts nine three says this, Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. I'm going to stop right here for just a second, because this will be in the book of Acts, this marked point at which Saul is converted. And I find this absolutely fascinating because this is an encounter with jesus which is so radical and so different it's not like it's not like saul is here having a conversation with with jesus and he's like oh maybe i ought to rethink this maybe my point isn't quite exact no he has a massive transformation but it comes in the form of an incredibly bright light And if you remember a few episodes ago we spoke about this light this light to the nations this light to the gentiles that god's salvation may come to the ends of the earth this is very clearly referring to the fact that the servant of the lord is impacting saul at this point in a really really powerful way but i want you to listen again to the very first words that saul hears after seeing this light from heaven shining around him He falls to the ground and he hears a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, as you're reading through the book of Acts, it's very easy to to just continue right on reading. But I want us to stop for just a moment and ponder what this statement is actually saying. We've just read, through the first handful of chapters in the book of Acts, that Saul was persecuting followers of the way. He was persecuting Christians. He was persecuting those who had chosen to place their faith in Jesus. He was not, in that sense, persecuting Jesus, because according to Acts 1, Jesus already ascended and is seated at the right hand of his Father in heaven. And yet the words that Jesus speaks to Saul are, Why are you persecuting me? You see, Jesus makes the connection between himself and what the New Testament will call his body, i.e. his followers. The church to persecute the church, to persecute Christians, is to persecute Jesus. There is this very, very vital, very, very central connection. And it is so incredibly powerful that Jesus is able to say, why are you persecuting me? And then Saul says, who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. You see, Jesus is so closely intertwined with his people that to persecute them is to persecute him. And of course, the flip is also true, which is the hope of the Christian position, and that is the love that Jesus receives is the love that you and I receive. The position that Jesus has is the position that you and I have, and we'll talk more about that in just a moment. As this passage continues throughout Acts chapter 9, we're told that Saul is blinded by this light. He's unable to see. And then it says that he is commissioned to be the light of Jesus and to suffer for his name. And here's what we read in Acts 9.16. The Lord is speaking and he says, I will show Saul how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And what you have in this little interaction is you have an incredibly bright light from heaven coming from the servant of the Lord, coming from Jesus himself. And then you have a reference to Saul, the one who is blinded by this light, but who will eventually see. You have him being called to suffer for the sake of Jesus's name. Now, the themes of light and suffering both go straight back to the servant songs from Isaiah 49, particularly verse six, and then Isaiah 53, four through 12. You can go back and read those on your own. I won't repeat them here. But the point I wanna to draw to your attention is the simple fact that when Jesus, the servant, meets a servant, he commissions Saul who will eventually be renamed Paul, to carry on the very work that he was doing. Now, if this isn't enough to convince you, you continue on to read through the book of Acts and you come to chapter 13. This is fascinating. This is very, very easy to overlook, but we can't overlook it because there is a serious, serious solidarity going on here between Jesus and those who are his followers. Paul and his companion Barnabas arrive in Antioch. And the rulers of the Jewish synagogues there ask Paul, whose name has now been changed from Saul to Paul. They ask Paul if he has any encouragement for the people. So Paul preaches. And many Jews come to faith in Christ. They beg Paul to return to them the next Sabbath and speak again about Jesus. And huge crowds gather to hear him. And in Acts 13.45, we read this. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. Now, if you pick up your Bible and you go read Acts thirteen forty-five through 47, you're going to find something really, really stunning. Because Paul's not just saying, yeah, I was having this conversation with Jesus and he gave me this little commission. No, that's not the way the text is actually written because Paul is actually quoting from Isaiah 49, chapter six. He is quoting a specific commandment and a specific promise given to the servant of the Lord about what his role will be when he comes. And we've looked at this and we know that this is fulfilled in Jesus. And yet what Paul says to the people in Antioch is, for so the Lord has commanded us saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. Do you see what is going on here? Paul, who is now in Christ is able to claim promises that were once made specifically about the Messiah, specifically about the servant of the Lord, and recognize that now that he is attached to this servant of the Lord by faith, he takes up the same charge that the servant of the Lord once had. This passage from Isaiah 49.6 that Paul quotes is not about him. It was never about him. It was about the suffering servant of the Lord. And yet, that suffering servant, that light, met Paul when he was Saul and explained to him that the persecution that he was spearheading against the followers of Jesus was, in fact, persecution against Jesus himself. So Jesus attaches himself to his people. And now Paul is able to attach himself to Jesus. It is a both and back and forth, give and take, this way, that way, the solidarity, the unity, the power, all Christians become in Christ the very things that Christ was while on earth. This concept is what the New Testament assumes before any of the letters that we read there were ever written. This solidarity that shows itself most clearly in Paul who was formerly Saul and even through Stephen who while he is being put to death for faithfully proclaiming the truth of who God is and what he's come to do in Jesus Christ was put to death but in the same way or you know by people who opposed him the same way Jesus was and yet he also prayed for the father to forgive them in the same way Jesus did when he was being put to death All Christians become, in Christ, the very things Christ was while on earth. You see, as our representative head, we not only find our identity in Jesus, but we also discover who we are to become. And so just to pick up again where we left off, all Christians become, in Christ, the very things Christ was while on earth. So as our representative head, we not only find our identity in him, we also discover who we are to become. And so just to show you a little bit about what I mean, let me pick four themes that surface time and again in the Old Testament, are understood in a particular way through Jesus, and then become the very metaphors and themes used to describe who the people of Christ are. And they are light, temple, kingdom, and priests. And over the course of this podcast, we've dabbled back and forth within a few of these themes because they surface so much. So let's look at Jesus's life as he calls himself the light, which we've already looked at a bit when it comes to discussing the servant of the Lord and then also what he is able to do by transforming Saul into Paul. But Jesus himself, or I'm sorry, John says of Jesus in John 1, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Talking about Jesus. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then Jesus himself, a few chapters later in John 8, says this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, this is Jesus. He's talking about himself or John is talking about him as the one who is filled with the light. And yet what the book of Acts does so masterfully in its opening chapters is Jesus is promising his disciples to wait for the promise of the Father, the coming of the Holy Spirit, who will give them power to be Jesus's witnesses in the world. And so it is through the Holy Spirit who is given to those who repent of their sins and trust in Jesus for salvation. They are forgiven of their sins and are gifted with the presence of the Holy Spirit to become free to live the way Jesus did. And so that's why when I say the words, we become in Christ, the very things that Christ was while on earth, the position we have in Christ is that Christ is in us through his Spirit, And we are in Christ, surrounded by him, kept by him, where he goes, we go, what he does, we do. And so that's very, very important to hold on to because Jesus is then able to look at his disciples, those who he knows are following him, and can say something like this to them. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Well, Jesus, you're telling us this in Matthew 5, but in John 8, you say you are the light of the world. So which is it? Are you the light or are we the light? And the answer is yes. This is why Paul can tell the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 5, at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And so the light is, That Jesus once was for this earth, Paul is also able to adopt for himself and say that God has told us, I have made you a light for the nations to bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. Now we could go on to a lot more with light, but we're just going to stop there with just a few examples. Let's look at temple. We know all about the temple from the Old Testament. We looked at the Garden of Eden as the very first temple. And we've spoken a lot about this through earlier podcast episodes. And I would definitely encourage you to go back and listen to these again in light of what I'm about to tell you. So in the temple, again, John chapter one, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is what John is telling us about the word who was in the beginning with God and who was God. And the word for dwelt is the word for tabernacle. So it, it's like Jesus came and set up a tabernacle among us. Right. He set up himself among us. Which is why in the very next chapter, when Jesus is in the temple and notices that there is a bunch of selling of of animals to the poor people and exploiting people for their opportunity to come and worship the Lord, he thrashes the tables and drives the money changers out. And they ask him, what sign do you give us for proving that you're able to drive us out of the temple in this way? And he says to him, destroy this temple. And in three days, I'll raise it up. And they bicker with him about, there's no way he's going to build this. This building took so many years to build. There's no way he can build it. And John tells us, but Jesus was speaking about the temple of his body. You see, the temple is the place where the presence of God dwells. And here Jesus is as the presence of God Emmanuel, God with us, is saying, I'm where the presence of God dwells, wherever I am. So Jesus, in the presence of God, is able to walk into the building that is supposedly housing the presence of God, but clearly isn't, and his presence drives out the money changers. It drives out the false worship. It drives out the idolatry. It drives out the injustice so that God's presence can dwell once again, wherever Jesus's presence is. And in stunning fashion, Paul tells the Corinthian church in first Corinthians three, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Or to the Ephesians in chapter 2, verses 19 to 22, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him also you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The temple is the place where the presence of God dwells. Jesus claims to be the place where the presence of God dwells. And after he sends his Holy Spirit into the lives of his followers, Paul can go on to tell them that they are now the temple because the presence of God dwells within them. What about kingdom We've talked a lot about kingdom. That's sort of a overriding theme that I think best captures the the biblical story. But Jesus says to Pilate in John 18, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. So Paul can tell the Colossians in chapter one, verse 13, that he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Or then to the Philippians in chapter three, verses 18 to 20, as, he is, as Paul is contrasting those who walk as enemies of the cross of Christ and contrasting them with the saints that he's writing to in Philippi. And he says to them, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so finally, looking at priests, we talked about this in episode 27, priests in need of a priest and knowing ultimately what God has called all humanity to be, what Jesus ultimately is. And in the book of Hebrews, we read this in chapter four, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. And then in chapter seven of Hebrews, it says, it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. So then when Peter, one of Jesus's close disciples who, whose lives, I mean, we, we've talked about Peter before, but in first Peter chapter two, here's what he says to the scattered exiles. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by man, but in the sight of God chosen and precious You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Hmm. Another reference to temple. To be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Do you hear what Peter's doing? He's describing us now as not only a temple, but as the living sacrifices present within that temple. These themes get reinterpreted through the life of Jesus and then get applied directly to those who find themselves in him, to those who find themselves forgiven by him and followers of the way. And then in Revelation chapter one, verses five to six says this, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom another reference to kingdom priests to his God and father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You see, those who are in Christ are heading back toward becoming true humans. Once again, made in God's image. In fact, the Christian life is spoken about throughout the new Testament time and time again as being conformed to the image of Christ or Christ being formed in you, Romans 8, Galatians 4. You see, all Christians become in Christ the very things Christ was while on earth. And this solidarity, this connection, this intimacy, this oneness is so central to understanding who we are and what we're called to do. Even the book of Acts opens in verse 1 with this statement, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Began to do and teach, but Acts begins and the rest of the book of Acts is the Acts of the Apostles or the Acts of the the Holy Spirit. Jesus has ascended to heaven. He's no longer here. Well, it may interest you to know that Luke wrote the book of Luke and wrote the book of Acts. And so Luke is writing the book of Acts as part two to his part you know to his two volume set and he's saying in the book of luke i recorded all the things that jesus began to do and teach right and now in my second volume acts i'm recording the things that jesus is continuing to do and teach through the holy spirit in the lives of his followers this is how the new testament needs to be read This is how we need to understand our place in Christ. And as a podcast on unbinding the Bible, I think this is immensely important. Number one, because we know people misunderstood who and what Jesus was supposed to be when he came. And if that's the case, and we are supposed to mimic him, we are supposed to find our ultimate identity in him, then it is also very understandable that we might not understand ourselves the way we should. And so we're going to have to go back and understand what we have missed about who we are supposed to be so that we can understand this better. And again, I've shared in earlier episodes that I am an Anglican priest and we have a very beautiful liturgy that we worship through every week. And this is the way we end our time right after we have taken communion right after we have received the body and blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And this is what our whole church says together. This is the, the end of a, of a prayer that we say together. And I just want you to listen to these words. May we who share Christ's body live his risen life. We who drink his cup bring life to others. We whom the Spirit lights give light to the world. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And this liturgy is beautiful because it understands that the things that we take in and that we receive in our need from Jesus and by him, we are then meant to take and turn around and use through the strength we've received from him to bless others in the same exact ways. And so this is ultimately what it means to become his servants. The servant creates servants. ...who mirror him in the way that they live. The imagery used to describe the church is imagery that Jesus has taken right off of his own playbook. Things that he's used to describe himself, he uses to describe his followers. And this is amazingly important. It's super crucial for you to grasp. And the direction we're going to go from this point in the podcast is going to continue to embrace this solidarity, this unity, this oneness in ways that I think will open your eyes and open your hearts to the power and the strength of what it means truly to follow Jesus unto death if necessary. I'm so glad you're still joining me and listening to Unbinding the Bible. I would really love to hear from you. If you'd like to email me, you can send me a message at unbindingthebible at gmail.com. I would also love it if you would give me a rating or a review on whatever podcast app you choose to listen to these episodes on. And then again, I really want to thank those of you who are supporting me and supporting Unbinding the Bible on a monthly basis. The opportunity for any of you to do that would be greatly appreciated, and it's really simple to do. Just follow the link in the show notes at the end of each episode, and it'll take you to a page where you can subscribe or you can um, choose to support me for 99 cents or 4.99 or 9.99 a month, whatever feels right to you. This is a, a way that helps me be able to continue to make these week after week and to try to be an encouragement to you. So I'm excited about where the podcast is headed and we'll wait to talk about it next time. See you soon.